Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Hey, it's John with the Conversations That Matter podcast. Today I want to talk about the downgrade of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I'm a Southeastern grad. I got my MDiv last spring, but I think I have a unique perspective on the social justice movement, what's happened uh, at Southeastern, but then it has implications, I guess, for broader evangelicalism uh, because um, I was at Southeastern about four years ago as a student. I left for a little while, took online courses, and then I came back, and the transformation that I saw was truly incredible. I want to take you through this step by step, and I have some preliminary remarks before I really get into the story, uh, because it's easy to take my words and to, to misconstrue them or to twist them, so I want to be careful, as careful as I can, in conveying this. Um, <clears throat> I visited campus in 2013 that summer. I attended in the fall. And then I left campus, like I said, for, some, for a few years, came back in fall of 2017, graduated spring of 2018. Unlike many, I can make this video because I did not accept any money from Southeastern, or I should say from the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. Uh, many of the students that attend do accept money. I, I think I was one of maybe two that I knew of that didn't. And so a lot of the people that go there are going to go into Southern Baptist churches or work for missions organizations in the Southern Baptist Convention. And if they had a problem with what Southeastern is doing, uh, they really couldn't say much about it. There is an 11th commandment in the SBC, and that is don't speak evil of a fellow Southern Baptist. Of course, I think that started to change with the takedown of Patterson, but um, especially if they're younger and on the social justice bandwagon, saying anything negative will uh, give you some repercussions. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that uh, within my story. But uh, because I decided that I did not want to be a Southern Baptist, I was only briefly a member of a Southern Baptist church, and I didn't take any money from them, I, can, I have the freedom to say what I want to say without any repercussions to me, at least from the Southern Baptists. Now, my background and biases, I, I think you should know where I'm coming from. Um, I'm an American history guy. Uh, my undergrad's in that. In fact, I'm pursuing a graduate degree in that right now. I taught presuppositional apologetics. I was involved in evangelism ministry at my church, uh, very involved in campus and college ministry on a, a number of campuses. And I've always been politically conservative. And this flows out of my commitment to Christian anthropological, ethical, and economic assumptions. So I see those two, um, uh, conservatism and Christianity, as uh, being complementary of one another, as being consistent with one another, that alone, uh, that, that statement I just made, will be an anthema to many at Southeastern. Um, I'm already challenging the orthodoxy that is presently there, just saying that. So um, 
I need, I need people though to know kind of where I'm coming from on these things. Now, <clears throat> my reason for sharing this, I, I have six basic reasons. Um, they're not malicious. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I'm not seeking to hurt Southeastern. Actually, on the contrary, I want to see Southeastern flourish. I want to see, I mean, I, I have a love for the campus. I attended there. Um, beautiful campus, beautiful history. And I, I would love to see the best for this campus. And um, I do pray for the campus. Uh, semi-frequently. So um, so there's no malice here, uh, any feelings of ill will, but I, I, I do think that I need to share my story. Uh, the first reason is for those who are considering the school. Uh, now, some of you who are on the social justice bandwagon, you may hear what I say and you may think, well, sounds great. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'm more sharing it though for people who don't know what they're getting into. And I was a little bit that way. And uh, I think if I had decided to go to campus now, I would definitely be that way. I'm going there to study the Bible, to learn how to interpret it. And meanwhile, I'm getting all the social justice stuff. It's taking away, it's distracting from my main purpose. I think folks who are going there for the purpose of knowing scripture and teaching it, they need to know what's going on at Southeastern that, that may take away from that focus. So for, for y'all, uh, secondly, I think it's important to understand how an academic institution can become liberal, and some of you watching this may be curious about that. Uh, Southeastern is one of thousands of stories uh, that uh, of campuses shifting to the left, um, but because I was there, because I have a unique perspective, I think um, my story can add to that, and um, and I can illustrate how that takes place. So there's this general. Um, uh, this general trend of academic institutions to go in a leftward direction. And I'm going to explain some of that. Uh, specifically, uh, if you want to understand what's happening in the SBC and broader evangelicalism when it comes to social justice, Southeastern's the tip of the sword. I mean, they used to be known as the mission school. In some ways, they still are. That is changing, and it's changing fast. Uh, they, are, they are becoming known. They have a reputation for being the social justice school in the SBC. Uh, number four is um, I want to offer some encouragement to discern. So discernment. Uh, oftentimes we let our guards down when there's teachers or institutions that we trust, and that's very dangerous. Uh, the history of the church is filled with once solid organizations that went heretical. And just about every heretical group has some tie back to an orthodox group. And um, so it, it shouldn't surprise us, it shouldn't shock us that something like this would happen, even in a solid setting where there's a good statement of faith. Uh, Jude 4, just a couple things. Um, verse 4 says, uh, Paul says, Paul says, see, I'm so used to saying Paul says because <laughs> um, everything in Scripture in the New Testament, right? You, you, you're so used to quoting Paul. Uh, Jude says, uh, contend earnestly for the faith. And he talks about certain persons that have crept in unnoticed. And, and so it's easy to not notice when bad ideas are coming in through people. The book of Galatians, obviously, against the Judaizers. But interestingly enough, the heresy that Paul, here we go, Paul again, right? So we can actually say it accurately now. When Paul is writing uh, to the Galatians, the heresy that he is combating was actually, in some ways, adopted by Peter, an apostle in Acts chapter 15. And so it's someone who can be very solid can be deceived. I mean, Peter, would we say that he's not solid? He certainly was an apostle. And of course, Paul had to confront him to his face. 
The history of Israel itself uh, shows a constant drift towards syncretism, uh, mixing uh, worldly things, the things around them in their environment, the pagan nations and their practices with the, the Word of God and the practices that God had told them to carry out. And of course, the Bereans of Acts 17 were commended by Paul because they even checked him out, an apostle. So what I'm doing, what I'm going to be walking through this material, my story, uh, I, I am within the boundaries, I believe, of Scripture um, by examining some of the things that uh, I saw in my experience there and then letting you know about them. Now, um, my fifth reason for doing this is to, hopefully, this is maybe a smaller thing, um, but to model how Christians who see errors should interact with those they disagree with. Um, <clears throat> we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 So we have a model for how to do this. In this case, there's going to be probably a little bit, maybe a lot of admonishing the unruly in, in what I'm going to convey to you. Um, there's disagreement, and I think it's a serious disagreement, at least the implications of it. Uh, James one um, <clears throat> nineteen says, This you know, my beloved brethren, be, uh, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So, I don't make this video uh, without having first consulted uh, faculty at Southeastern. I've talked uh, to folks about it there. I've sought wise counsel. I've prayed about it. Um, I'm not doing this lightly at all. Uh, my sixth reason for making this is to give hope. And maybe that's the most important. If you're feeling the way I'm feeling, uh, perhaps if you're someone who's signed the MacArthur, um, it's not really MacArthur's, but it's become known as the MacArthur Statement on Social Justice. If, if you're in league with me on thinking that social justice is a huge threat to the gospel, at least how it's interpreted uh, by modern evangelical leftists, then you might be discouraged right now. You may think, they're taking over everything. Where is their hope? I mean, the Gospel Coalition, together for the gospel, um, and uh, Desiring God, you know, and, and the list goes on. A lot of these organizations have been compromised. So um, hopefully I can give you some hope at the end of all this because uh, I've gone through um, what maybe many of you have not, and, and I can see that there is some hope here. Um, so I'm going to actually save the hope part till the end. Uh, so just to review, I'm, I'm making this video, I want to be very clear about this, to understand how academic and evangelical organizations are being compromised, to help those who are seeking, uh, making the choice whether or not they should go to Southeastern, uh, to encourage discernment, to model how Christians should engage these heresies, I'm going to call it that, and to give hope. A few final elucidations here. I am very thankful for many of the men at SEBTS, uh, truly. I'm, I'm very grateful that they're there. I've learned uh, some from my experience there. There are a lot of professors who disagree with the direction of the school, but who cannot say anything. And um, I'm going to share a little bit about that later. Uh, SEBTS is still teaching many good things that are useful. And so I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here at all. Uh, they're in transition. Uh, the, like many organizations, they are falling, but they have not completely fallen yet. But I think the seeds of their destruction have been planted. And that's what I'm going to talk about is these seeds that I saw. Um, I don't make this video flippantly. 
Uh, like I said before, I've talked to why people on campus, professors, I've gotten counsel about it, I've prayed about it. I'm not trying to damage uh, Southeastern. Um, I pray for them, I love them. Um, I don't have any desire for revenge. There's no personal issue that I have. What I have noticed though is that there is a lot of aggressive and thin-skinned behavior by proponents of the social justice uh, theory or <laughs> gospel um, at Southeastern. And then I've decided to be a little vague with some of the names that I could mention. I don't think it'd be wrong if I did, but um, because I have no personal problems with anyone and I'm not start trying to start a fight at all, um, I'm not going to be really naming a lot of names. I might I might talk about Danny Aiken, right? Because he's the president, he's the public face of the school. But more often than not, I'm gonna refer to him as a, for instance, as the president. I might refer to a professor as a professor. I'm probably not gonna be using names. So just wanted to mention that. Uh, so let's get into it. Let, let's talk about, I'm gonna go through this chronologically and um, within that, I'm gonna weave some topical considerations. Uh, oh, one final thing. If you're listening on audio, uh, this is going to be kind of long, so if you if you have the podcast playing, I'm going to release two podcasts at the same time. So if you don't have time to listen to the full podcast, just go to the next one uh, when you're done and have some time. I'll post them at the same time. Uh, obviously, if you're watching the video, uh, it's one video. So here we go. Um, <clears throat> if you've been following my blog, uh, Conversations That Matter, I've warned about certain ideas, racial reconciliation, social justice. Um, on one occasion, I actually did call out a professor that I knew at Southeastern for eisegetical interpretation, but I've never focused my intention completely on the school. I've toyed with the idea of doing a thorough piece uh, on social justice and how it's come to dominate places like Southeastern. I, I was going to maybe make it broader and talk about Southern and Southwestern as well. But uh, it was honestly just too much. I mean, just the Twitter feeds alone from these schools, it would be a book, just trying to catalog all the increasing amounts of um, tweets. And, and I mean, it obviously goes way further than that. Articles, blogs, chapel messages, uh, statements made in class that are supportive of social justice. So that's an enormous undertaking. I don't have time to do it. And I think it's more powerful, powerful for me just to share my story. Uh, like I said before, I visited SEBTS in the summer of 2013. I was impressed with the prayer that the, the person recruiting me gave. He said um, that if the Lord's will was for us to go anywhere else, I was visiting with uh, my brother, that you know, he prayed that the Lord would take us there and as far away from Southeastern as possible. That impressed me. I went to a number of different universities and I never heard that. They were always trying to give me all the perks to coming. And this guy, right off the bat, I want you to be where God wants you to be. And that, that was encouraging to my heart. Um, he's probably still there, <laughs> probably still saying the same thing. And, um, and you know, he rocks. Um, I mean, that's just great. And, uh, and that did a lot for me. I was looking for a school that had a broader range of opinion, especially on eschatology. I was under the belief at the time, and I'm not really under that anymore, but I had this idea that as long as they're reformed, everything else should be good. And from my tour, I, I got the sense that they were. And my recruiter knew that that's what I was looking for. He never said we are a reformed school, but he definitely pointed me in, I mean, he, he would quote 
people that had been reformed that had spoken at chapel and how much they liked the school and he tried to emphasize that aspect uh, a bit. So um, I, I was under the impression this is a reformed school. It really helped that they had the Center for Faith and Culture there and they emphasized uh, without me even bringing it up they, that they had the Francis Schaeffer collection. And uh, so I'm learning this on the tour. I love Francis Schaeffer, especially at that time. And I thought, well, you know, this is reformed. They understand the relationship of the church with the culture because Francis Schaeffer and, uh, and they had a lake nearby and I liked fishing. So funny thing is I actually never did go fishing there when I went to campus. <laughs> I always thought that uh, I was gonna go fishing and that, was, that played into my decision, but uh, alas. Um, so the first semester um, was the fall of 2014. And I realized right off the bat, this is very important. I'm gonna, I might repeat this. I realized that Southeastern was a very big tent, meaning their beliefs were very broad on some things, all right? Very big tent. Uh, I was used to a seminary before this that was very narrow. They had defined beliefs right down to you know, your eschatology. We were told in orientation, if you have a different eschatology than what this seminary professes, then we'll recommend other places for you to go, you know? and which was fine. They were, you know, they were, um, they were just trying to warn us. Southeastern uh, could not have been more opposite. I mean, every flavor of eschatology was represented there. Uh, my theology teacher, I remember, said that half the week he was one conviction and half the week he was another conviction. Uh, so um, it almost seemed like to the point of uncertainty, you know, this broad tent, this big tent was there. When I first got there, I mean, it was in like the first two weeks, I ended up going to a Sunday, or no, it was Sunday school, it was a Bible study that the president of the university of the seminary was leading. And um, I had a personal conversation with him afterward. And in that conversation, he actually told me that because there were so many broad views on eschatology on campus, that he did not, he was against a certain speaker who was coming to campus. And this was years ago, so I feel comfortable sharing it now. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have said it. He probably shouldn't have told me at the time, but there was a speaker, I'm not gonna say his name, he was in charge of giving Southeastern a sizable amount of money. And because of that, he was given a slot to speak in chapel. And it was on a certain eschatological view that he was speaking. And, uh, and so the president tells me in a personal conversation, I really wish that we didn't have him come. I don't want him to speak on that because we're such a big tent. And I don't want a certain eschatological view holding sway or being perceived as this is what Southeastern believes. I want people to feel comfortable with whatever view they choose. And I thought, okay, you know, I had nothing against that. That sounds good. Um, but that was in regards to eschatology. I found out later, creationism is pretty much the same thing. Uh, I, there's three professors that I knew of uh, at the time. One of them was my theology teacher who believed in some kind of compatibilism between creation and evolution, which honestly shocked me a little bit. I mean, I, was, I grew up in a very creationist household, uh, I, and not to go into details, my dad had a science background, and, um, and he had gotten into it while in college, and, um, and he, so he taught us growing up the different beliefs or tenets, I guess, of uh, a literal genesis and you know, that whole theology. So. I mean, we were friendly. We were friendly to Answers in Genesis, Institution for Creation Research, and all the rest. But um, I was a little surprised. I'm on campus, and I'm hearing other things. 
uh, about that. And um, in fact, one professor uh, told me that Ken Ham was a charlatan. And, uh, and so I, I didn't take that too well. Uh, I didn't think we should have a big tent uh, on that issue because, uh, and I'm not going to get into it now, um, but to summarize, I guess, because I thought this was a theological issue that really impacted the gospel directly uh, because of um, having death before sin. But uh, maybe I'll make another video on that at some point. But I also found out that Calvinism uh, or Reformed theology was not as dominant as I thought it was. There was a big tent when it came to that. There were Arminian professors. In fact, I don't think I ever heard a professor, maybe once, uh, one professor told me he was Reformed. But other than that one time, um, I, I can think of a number of professors who told me that they were two-point Calvinists, three-point Calvinists. Um, there was a professor that, there's two of them that I know that advocated Molinism, one in particular, I know wrote a book on it and was, was pretty high up at the university. So. There's, there's also these Arminian beliefs that are swirling around uh, on campus, depending on which professor you have. And I started to think, man, this is a little more broad than I thought I was getting into. Uh, I really wanted reformed, and I don't really even have that uh, at this campus. And, um, and again, that's fine. That the, the campus is broad, and, and that's the way they want it. But remember that I said all this because it's going to have implications for the social justice uh, movement that I'm going to talk about soon. Now, because of the Big Ten, there were not, I, I, not one that I can remember. There was never a debate when I was on campus. Uh, there was only panel discussions in which everyone pretty much already agreed. And this would signal to everyone in the audience, if it was a chapel or just some kind of symposium, that you know, this, is, this is our stance. So they had a very unified um, message to the world, through their videos, to the school. This is what we believe. If ever they were going to talk about a social topic, even a political topic, uh, or a theological topic. But of course, the, their consensus was not built around things like Reformed theology, creationism, or eschatology. Uh, it was built around other things. I'm going to get into what those things were. But um, all that to say, it would have been nice if some of these professors who disagreed with one another had debates or just discussions that students could come in and hear them. I mean, that, that used to be what universities did. That's what a university is, right? You're hearing all these different viewpoints. You're, you're thinking critically about them. Um, the Socratic method, well, that was not at Southeastern at all. I mean, a disagreement itself, and I've learned this especially since I've left Southeastern and been at other places, there, there's just a lot of thin skin when you cannot have a disagreement with someone or you think that they're personally, they must hate you or they're challenging you. Um, I'm in a grad program now where, where most of the program is, and this is how graduate school should be, is people disagreeing with one another. Or if they're not disagreeing, they're, they're arguing, they're going back and forth, they're, they're looking at ideas, they're trying to figure out what truth is. And we're all together on that journey. Southeastern's not like that. It's, you have the view, and, and that's the accepted view, and everyone gets together and they, they adopt that. And if you don't adopt it, don't say anything against it, because that's the view. And, um, and of the things that obviously we disagree with, like I just mentioned, eschatology, creation, Calvinism, uh, you keep that stuff to yourself in your classroom maybe, but you know, be aware that you know, that's, that's not as important. So those actually, that stuff became secondary. And in my mind, that stuff actually, especially reform theology and creationism, that stuff is actually primary. That stuff is really important stuff, right? But that became secondary to social concerns. And, and I'm 
telling you the direction I'm going here because we have a situation where the bottom's the top, the top's the bottom. So tertiary issues, secondary issues have become primary issues at Southeastern. And I got to see that transformation. Uh, if there was any unity um, in an orthodox sense, broadly speaking, it would have been around a very broad gospel and then a missions focus. Those are the things that kind of kept people together at the time I was there, right? Now there's social things, but at the time I was there in uh, 2014. The academic environment um, <clears throat> wasn't the best when I first came to campus. Uh, like I said, we weren't challenged to think very critically in my mind, at least in the classes I was in. Uh, qu even questions could be seen as divisive sometimes. Academic standards were very low, and I, and I know this just because I can compare it to other places I've been. Um, you know, I don't know, I, I've been to, I don't know, about maybe five different undergraduate institutions I had credits transferred from, and then maybe one, two, three, four, four, yeah, I think four different graduate institutions that I've had credits transfer from. Southeastern's one of the, the in my mind, academically, um, one of the last or, you know, the, the bottom of the list, academically speaking. They're just, it wasn't very challenging. Uh, a lot of the um, material was on a high school level. A lot of classes, I think, were on a high school level. Some of the reading material, honestly, was on a junior high level. Not all of it. Um, there was a class I later took that, uh, one class I can think of that actually had some college level material, but a lot of it was very high school. And uh, so I, I figured I'd mention that to those who want to be academically challenged. And um, I already talked about uh, the environment that I saw as an environment of people with thin skins. Uh, some professors, like I said, were not, I think I said this, they, they weren't like this. Some professors were adults, they had thick skins. Um, I had actually a really good ethics professor, I think. But I noticed that some professors um, were defensive, even if you asked a question. And they were not used to being challenged. And I, I think part of that is the celebrity preacher model. It kind of affected the way that professors even viewed themselves in their own classrooms. Uh, there's this mentality, and, and academia tends to go this direction. It's one of the reasons academia tends to go towards the left. There's this idea that I'm a specialist. I know my field, and don't question me. You're the, the student. Right, and um, and that is completely that is a new thing in academics. I mean, within the last 150 years, I mean, pride's not a new thing, but this whole idea of specialization. And maybe I'll make another video about that at some time. But um, I think the celebrity preacher model, the idea of specialization, it just created a lot of um, professors who they weren't used to being challenged. So <clears throat> um, I, I didn't care for that necessarily. And then when it comes to social justice, and this is in 2014, there, there were some hints, some foreshadowing of what was to come. There were a lot of minority speakers. And when I say minority, it really, I don't think there was Hispanic speakers. I remember it was black speakers. Uh, people that were African-American uh, were speaking in chapel a whole lot, which I am all for. And I don't, I don't care if you're purple, you know. Um, <clears throat> Some of the, the best pastors are black, some of the worst are white, and there's also some good white pastors. So, I mean, it doesn't, this, to me, skin color does not matter when it comes to preaching ability. Um, so, but the point that I'm making, the reason I'm bringing this up is that a lot of these speakers were not Southern Baptist. And they'd come to the school, and most of the people on campus, professors and students, 
the vast majority, and, and it's this way to this day, are white. And it was just a curious thing to have so many just seem like, in, I mean, this is just me remembering how I felt, but it seemed like about half the chapels uh, included a black speaker of some kind. And so I wondered whether the reason for that was just because they were black. I couldn't think of why. I mean, some of, sometimes they were not even talking about scripture. Uh, they weren't preaching a sermon. Uh, sometimes they were just talking about the African-American experience, and that was it. And I, I thought, why in the world? They're not Southern Baptists. Um, why are they here? <laughs> I came here to know the Word of God. Uh, this individual, and I would say the same thing if they were white. It doesn't matter what color they are. But, but it, it, I got the sense that Southeastern wanted more people speaking because of the color of their skin. I'm not making the accusation. I'm, I'm telling you how it was perceived, the possibility. I'm, I'm raising the possibility. So my roommates, I remember talking to them, and, and we, we all had a kind of a similar reaction. We came there to study, to know the scripture, and we'd more or less, uh, one of my roommates actually in particular, we, he told me he'd just kind of tune out. And I did the same thing. You know, I wasn't, I'm not here to learn about the African-American experiences. As great as that is to study, I'm here to, to know the word of God. And it was hard sometimes paying attention uh, in chapel when you heard those things. And um, I remember one of my roommates had admitted that to me and uh, said so in a very, you know, just very much trying, trying to also give the caveat that, hey, I'm, I'm not against black people, I'm not racist, and, and I'm giving the same one. That has nothing to do with it. It's just, we have a purpose in attending this school. And, and so that kind of confused me a little bit when I noticed that. I remember my ethics professor telling me that he had noticed over the years, this is in 2014, that the younger evangelicals coming into the school were less pro-life and significantly so. And he noticed every year less passion towards the pro-life movement and more passion towards things like alleviating poverty, which isn't wrong, or the environment. And um, I thought that was interesting too. So there's kind of like a, the, the issues that the left tends to be known for or th that they want uh, people to be concerned about. Those are the issues that younger people were gravitating more towards. And the issues that the religious right, the uh, conservatives were concerned about socially were issues that were being abandoned. And, and so I thought that was very telling. It's not my, um, not my words, but th those are the words of uh, the assessment of my ethics professor at the school. I went to a church uh, that, where the pastor actually was an adjunct professor at SEBTS, and this was one of the things that I think really started to make me think about what was going on on campus in regards to the social justice movement. And I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm having other examples flood my mind, but I'm going to stick towards kind of, I'm going to hit the high points. This was a high point for me. I remember in church, this was after the Michael Brown incident. And of course, those who remember 2014 remember there was different, the Michael Brown thing went on for months uh, as far as what happened and the rioting and everything else. And I remember, and I don't remember what month, but I think it was in the fall, my pastor had prayed from the pulpit. And in his prayer, he talked about how, I'm putting this in my own words, how African-Americans were unfairly treated in general. And he prayed a prayer, it was, it was a prayer of repentance 
that you know we would wake up to the racism around us and that and he specifically he, he said it was something about the cops and how cops targeted African Americans and, and he basically just endorsed full-fledged on that Sunday the interpretation that um, has since then become to come to be known as false that the, the police officer was this was a murder basically and that Michael Brown was innocent and, and everything else so <clears throat> without all the facts even coming out this pastor took a side and I, I was that really and he was an adjunct professor at Southeastern at the time and that really bothered me and it was one not the only reason but it was it was one reason that I, I started to feel a little uncomfortable with I said, do I do I really I, there was other things I noticed at, at the church that were along those same lines I said I don't know about this there's a lot of really good things about this place but this emphasis this uh, willing to condemn before hearing everything you know, really bothered me so that was my 2014 fall semester I left campus after that Thank you for listening. To hear part two of this podcast, please continue to the next episode. visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.